Welcome to Mostly Books Meets, the weekly podcast for the incurably bookish. We will be talking to authors and creatives from across the world of publishing and discussing the books they have loved. Looking for a recommendation? Then look no further. Head to your favourite cosy spot and let us pick out your next favourite book. On the Mostly Books Meets podcast this week, it is my great pleasure to welcome debut author Stephen Burrow. Stephen's novel, The Five Sorrowful Mysteries of Andy Africa, is published on the 13th of April. It's already received impressive praise. Author Max Porter described it as eccentric, profound and timely. He says he fell in love immediately. Stephen has a degree in mathematics and is currently studying for his PhD in creative and critical writing. Stephen, welcome to Mostly Books Meets. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Our absolute pleasure. And how does it feel, I presume, this? Um, uh, how long have you been writing Andy Africa? How long has this book been in the process for? Yeah, I think I would say um, for five years now, since um, 2018, I think. Yeah, yeah. And so how does it feel? Because, you know, writing is a, you know, it's a lengthy pl- process. A lot of the authors we talk to, you know, they say, oh, well, I first had this idea at this point and then I started yeah. writing at this point. And then suddenly, you know, you get to this moment where the book is about to kind of enter the world. How does that feel for you as an author? Is that exciting? Is it nerve wracking? I imagine a mix of emotions. Yes, yes. I mean, a mix of emotions. Yes. Uh, I mean, I've been working on this book for all these years and it's been this fantastic journey. It's been, I mean, full of so much uh, excitement for me and so much fun. I mean, it's been so so much fun writing the book. And of course, there have been some, of course, many days of, many gloomy days and I mean, days I have to let, I had to just suffer, right? Yeah. And uh, so just a mix of emotions. And uh, so I'm really looking forward to the book anyway. I mean, being published, I mean, appearing in bookshops and all that. And uh, and I can't wait for readers to finally read the book. Yeah, I hope, yeah, they are thoughts in some way and they get to see like a different kind of world. Yeah, I hope. Mm. Yes, because I, I get a sense, speaking to authors, that there's a feeling of, you know, once the book is with readers, it kind of almost takes on a life of its own. You know, it's kind of left the nest and it's just doing its own thing. And I imagine, because we're on the sort of cusp of publication, I know some authors don't look at reviews, but have you started seeing maybe on social media people saying, oh, I'm reading this book at the moment, uh, advanced copies and things like that? Yes. Um, I mean, these days, right, it's so impossible to stay away from seeing reviews. I mean, whether you like it or not, your publicity team, publicity team might uh, I will send you some reviews. And uh, mm. yeah, I've seen some wonderful, some wonderful reviews of the book. And like I'm just actually amazed by how like different readers tend to I mean read the book slightly differently, right? From their own point of view, mm-hmm. which is really amazing. Which is how what art should do, and uh, I mean art should stimulate our own personal responses. I mean to it, and uh, and it's very interesting. I like some aspects of the book that I didn't think too much about, like uh, relating strongly to those aspects, and and uh, and. Uh, like commenting more on them, I know, and then someone asked me, I thought, oh, like, uh, like at the forefront of the book, and which is really amazing. And they, yeah, I mean, once the book, as I said, once the book gets to the audience, I mean, it becomes, I mean, the property, the, pro- the property of the, I mean, of the reading audience. And yeah, and then, yeah, and for the writer, you just move on with your life and you go, you move on to, <laughs> to your next project. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're like, I'm done with that yeah. now. I, you know, it's for the, it's for the readers to do with, yeah, you know, yeah. to do with what they want. 
And mm. in terms of yourself as a reader, we'll go back to Andy Africa later on, but have words, reading, writing, has that always been an interest or did that come later on? As a kid, were you, you know, were you much of a reader? Yes. So um, in my case, I actually began um, reading very late, right? It's very little in my life. Um, I mean, due to so many circumstances, um, growing up in Northern Nigeria and like if some of the first schools I attended weren't good schools. They were public schools. And I mean, I'm at, I attended a school called Model School. It was supposed to be like the Model School, right? And okay. it was just a very, very, very terrible school. I mean, for example, I mean, many classrooms had like um, 50, some 60, some 70 pupils in, in class and all. It was, yeah, it was, yeah. And so you don't even get any attention from from teachers. And, and that is when the teachers do come to class to teach, right? Because they do come because most times... Yeah, they often don't even come anyway. So, but anyway, things changed for me when I got a scholarship to attend a missionary school, um, St. Michael's in Kotongura in Niger State. So it's a school funded by Irish missionaries and, and they had this small but brilliant library. And, and the library was uh, full of books, and uh, book donations from Irish children, Irish families and, and all that. So that was when I, I mean, I learned how to read. I think I learned how to read most of the time in my life maybe six, seven or something. And yeah, something like that. And, um, and then that was where I began, uh, like I told my, I didn't have my, my parents weren't, they just had basic education. They weren't super educated like that. And, uh, and so they only had like the Bible and, and some religious texts at home. So these were like some of the first books I, I knew, but, uh, so it was much later in my life when in my school, when, um, I went to my school library, picked up some books, and and was just wowed by them. I, I mean, just seemed like like a completely different experience, like a parallel universe you know, in some way that tend to that seemed to stimulate main aspects of myself, my my memory, my emotions, my just my thinking and all. It was I mean, just this wonderful experience, and uh, and so I fell in love with books, and I, and I started reading lots of books, and uh, and a few years after that, that was when I began writing and uh, I wrote my first story and all that. And, and since then I've been on this very interesting, intriguing journey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And do you remember those early stories that you wrote when you were younger or have they been, have you just sort of forgotten them now or, or can you remember sort of what you were writing about or? Yeah. Yeah. I can still remember some, I can still remember some. Um, in particular, the first story I wrote was about um, a war in the animal kingdom, how, I mean, the fish were we ostracized. I mean, yeah, we banished and they, and they had, from from land, and they had to like move into water uh, and I'm trying to survive in in water. And and so and uh, I remember showing the story to a schoolmate. After reading the story, he just didn't believe that I was the one who wrote it. He felt perhaps I'd copied it from somewhere, or I don't know. Oh, or, okay. Yeah, and I it was very crazy because I mean, I mean, I. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever he just thought I wasn't good enough for, or in any way. So, so and and I think that spoiled me a bit. That was like okay. I mean, I mean, more like a motivation to actually want to write more. To, mm. So it felt at that time that um, that I could actually be good at this, right? Yeah. And of course, writing a story was hugely, hugely empowering. Like, I mean, I felt as though I was a kind of a god. I could create things. I could create mountains with eyes. I could create a world and. And have the kind of agency I, I didn't have in my community then and yeah at the time and uh, yeah. 
It's a it's a powerful thing, isn't it? Suddenly, I don't know, realizing uh, and talking to other authors, it's a moment that several of them have had of this kind of oh wow, I can write anything that comes into my mind is legitimate you know it's there's no kind of this is the correct way of doing this or this is obviously people have ideas about that but you know actually the truth is you can do what you like and the as you said empowering it it must be a kind of a particularly to a, a young mind quite a rush i imagine like a oh wow and with your friend reacting in that way i love that kind of disbelief like oh you yeah. couldn't have written this you must have been like how dare you yeah. <laughs> how dare you yeah. i did yeah and uh, i mean on on that note too um it just reminds me of what uh, steve jobs said right oh that um i mean for creative people creative people should always try to have that childish imagination or that childish excitement about mm. things yeah i mean things this kind of excitement we used to have as children and i i think that's what writing also feels so to me and uh, like while writing that's actually writing something that i'm usually invested in like i'm so like like my whole being seems to be it's a kind of kind of uh, i've not taken lsd before but i, I imagine that's that is how it, it might feel like to i mean take such a drug that kind of like living in a world full of i mean color full of um like a mosaic kind of world i, I don't know so like so that's what right, right is to relate and that's child that's child, childish or yeah um way of being and all that yeah in terms of those early books, so interestingly, those early books that you were coming across and reading were the ones that had been donated by, you know, these Irish families. So in terms of, do you remember some of the, the books that you were drawn to, the titles of them? It's OK if not, but just are there any that, you yeah. know, stand out for you? Yeah, many, many books in my in my school library. Mm. Uh, I mean, of them were like uh, uh, children classics, um, like the Little Mermaid, uh, I think the adventures of Pinocchio. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Um, of course, the adventures of Tom Sawyer. I mean, Huckleberry Finn. You know, all these Western, Western mm. um, children classics. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the books I he did fell in love with was um, the Swiss Family Robinson by Johann David Weiss. I mean, so it's like a children, a bridge version of the book, and all the children edition of the book. Uh, and it was this wonderful story about. Um, this Swiss family who are like on an adventure, on an adventure, right? So, I mean, traveling, whatever, yeah, to, I think to New Guinea or something. And they, and of course, they experience, they experience a shipwreck and then they are stranded in this desert island and and they have to survive and all that. And they, yeah, I mean, so that's this wonderful story that uh, seemed to show, I mean, so many aspects of, I mean, the human self, right? Our, our ability to, to adapt, to deal with adversity, Apart from that, uh, it also had elements of uh, science, faith, and all that like come mm. together, and which I found very interesting. And uh, yeah, and just the, the the some of the themes you've mentioned there, I feel like you know you're saying that they attracted you. Then I feel those are things that you can see in Andy Africa as well. So you know, is it fair to say that those have stayed with you and are now reflected in kind of at least in this book, maybe not in all your writings, but you know, certainly in in anti-Africa? Yes, 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 definitely. I mean, like some of the things of my book, I mean, there's, I mean, there's a huge, like a scheme, schema, whatever, of duality, like in the book, yeah, duality mm. of like science versus, I mean, the arts or um, science versus faith. I know, I, I think, yeah, um, I mean, I could draw, I mean, like inspiration from, from that book. I mean, because when I was very young, it was amazing seeing 
uh, I think one of the sons, I can't remember his name, whether it's William or Fritz or something that uh, who who was interested in science and all that, like, mm. using a sextant to measure angles. And even the father too was also had this scientific view to things and all. And I also found that very interesting. So and I, I think that also uh, motivated me later in life to see science and the arts as I mean these two, although they might seem parallel, these parallel disciplines, but parallel disciplines, but they are actually much more intertwined. I mean they're all in the pursuit of truth and and uh, even though many like literary texts seem to want to show a kind of a dichotomy between these two. Feels, but, but most times, I mean, they're actually more different than we think. And, and I think arts should try to bridge. For me, I mean, kind of arts like that, that interests me a lot, arts that try to bridge these two uh, disciplines that might seem so different. Yeah. Mm, I think that's a, that's a lovely point because I think it is very, in the way, in sort of education, you find that you have like the humanities and the sciences. We've kind of, it's inbuilt that we're designed to sort of see them as these very separate things. And yet I've met many scientists who are passionate about the arts or, you know, artists who have like a science back background. And do you find as someone who, um, because was uh, mathematics, was that your first degree? Was that the first thing you studied at university and then you did, and then you went into creative writing? Is that correct? Yes, yes, that's correct. Yeah. yeah. And so do you find so, you know, you do quite enjoy bringing the two together. Do you see the two as, you know, kind of all part of your process? Do you involve maths in your kind of writing process at all? Yes, yes, I do. I mean, I think readers who read my book will see, I mean, the influences of, I mean, I mean, the science, sciences, mm. mathematics and all in the book. For me, like uh, the sciences and, and the arts, I mean, all form part of who I am and how I see the world, and and I'm really like grateful for having had I mean the privilege to have studied in these different courts, yeah, different disciplines, you know, yeah, and because I I think for example like mathematics for example seem to have this very very structured, it, it might seem rigid to, to an extent anyway way of examining the world and all that. I mean you create axioms, I use axioms to pursue like other axioms, to create other axioms, to create other truths, other mathematical theory but why i mean in the arts in in literature for example it's it's much more philosophical i mean we nothing is nothing is black and white nothing is nothing is very very clear and i mean it's much more nuanced and and so i, I think bridging these two ways of conceptualizing the world i mean from this very discrete maybe not this very discrete but this very very definite scientific way of thinking and and then this very nuanced way of thinking in the arts in philosophy and then bridging them together i think would actually help us to i mean understand our human situation and understand our world even much more better i think and which is what i i, I tended to do in my novel and the africa mm, absolutely and yes it's it's such an interesting thing because when you put it like that about that science has this very you know you work it out and then you get to an answer and that's like the definitive like we've got the answer now and then yes the humanities you know could sometimes be you know it's great to explore the gray areas but of course that has its down points as well because with science you know if you think you've got to the right answer and that's it but you haven't that can cause all sorts of problems and then you know in the humanities if you're constantly dealing with kind of oh well who's to say if that's i don't know bad or good or whatnot that obviously then comes with its own issues so i really love that idea of kind of you know that they need like scales they need like balancing each other out otherwise we're kind of you know flying off in in one direction or the other 
Yeah, yeah, and on that note too, um, I also usually like how because like uh, scientists now, I mean, we can only scientists can always usually examine like very clear, definite problems, and I mean problems mm. that that uh, we can, I mean issues that we can investigate uh, like in through the scientific method, right? I mean with, uh, I mean very clear parameters and all, yeah. And so like many, so scientists most times like. It's just not very, not very efficient enough for examining many, many much more difficult problems that we encounter mm. in our day-to-day lives. I mean, ethical problems, for example, uh, many of these huge philosophical questions. I mean, for example, our own human existence, the existence of God, and all these are very, very important questions that we need answers for. But of course, the sciences cannot cannot really provide any any substantial answer. Uh, often, yeah, often time, you know, most most times, yeah. And that the turmoil of the two definitely comes across in Andy as a person in the novel is dealing with kind of all of these, you know, there's elements of like faith. He's a poet. He's got that uh, mathematical shorthand for, you know, uh, for the curse, as he as he calls it. He's a tumultuous person in terms of his personality. There's so much going on there. And of course, there's a lot of the themes working there, but we're seeing the world through his eyes. It feels personality driven as well. So you talked about the Swiss family Robertson with their person, you know, their personalities, who they are, you know, and these people. Would you say as well for you as a writer, is that an in to a book in terms of like a person, a personality? Is that something you, you know, particularly like focusing on in your writings? Yes, yes. Like in, in the books that I, I, I love reading and... Uh... Yeah, and hopefully even in the subsequent books I, I hope to write. Like, I think I'm usually drawn to like very psychological kind of writing. I mean, like one of my all-time favorite writers is uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky. I mean, his gift for examining the recesses of, of the human mind and the psychodynamics there, I know it's it's hugely wonderful. And and uh, and I strongly relate to that. So the personality and rich characters and conflict that stem from the inside and and how they clash with the outside and the, and what it means for our, our world, for our human struggle, our human situation. I find that really intriguing about, about fiction and about books. Yeah. And I'm usually drawn to, to those elements yeah, mm. about books. And in terms of reading today, obviously you're, you're doing your PhD in creative and critical writing, which I, I imagine includes a, a lot of reading. You're yeah, a writer so yourself. Much. Do you find, do you have time for just like picking up, you know, any book that takes your fancy or, or is it quite kind of restricted by your various hats that you're wearing, the academic and the, the writerly hats? Just at the, at the time I began my PhD, my, my secondary supervisor told me that, oh, like, I mean, this journey you're about to embark on, that you're, you're reading, we usually have to change, you know, and you have to be very, 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 very structured. And at the time, I was a bit doubtful, oh, like, what's, what's this man really saying, right? Um, but <laughs> but that, that, yeah, but that, that has been the case now. Um, like, over the past few years, I mean, the books that I've tended to read, I mean, I've not had time to just pick any book, any random book mm. to read. Most times, the books I, I ended up reading were books that I could relate in some way to my, to my research. I know that. So I, I just can't wait to be done with my thesis and then and then to like format part of my brain anyway and, and then to take a huge, huge, huge sigh of relief and then just become <laughs> like a general, yeah. You'll look <laughs> and, forward to the day. Yeah. And to just become a general, like a general video reader. I mean, I, I have I've missed that. So just picking books. I mean, just random books and just read it and all that. Yeah, but it's been a very tough journey too. I mean, I mean, I, I had to like, 
finished my novel. I had to mm. also read all this critical stuff, read so many, so many things. And yeah, but but it's been a wonderful journey. I mean, yeah. And uh, what, if you don't mind me asking, what year are you on now of your, your PhD? Yeah, so I'm currently in my fourth year. And uh, so I have the complete draft of my thesis and, uh, and I'm actually hoping to submit my thesis within the next few weeks. And uh, yeah. Oh, goodness. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. big. Oh, I always feel bad for talking to you now because I feel like you must no, be no. thinking, oh, I've got so much to do. And no, no, it's, no, it's of, no, 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 of course, it's so wonderful talking about this book. I mean, I've been working on it for so long and just in, in my bedroom, I'm just battling with it every day and you know, actually having opportunities to talk about it. So it's really wonderful. So I hope to submit my thesis within the next few weeks, hopefully within the next few weeks and, and then wait for the Viva. And after the Viva, everything goes perfectly. Yeah. And then, yeah to be a different life for me i think yeah yes yeah a very yeah. different life i think anyone i've yeah. known who's done like a phd level of uh of academia i don't know there's a kind of them during and then them after and it's almost like two different people because you know yeah. your whole life becomes so focused on that goal yeah which is uh which is exactly about i mean the phd on like uh let's say a master's degree or a first degree whereby like you depend a lot or it depends a lot or you you have to i mean your your study is being constrained by so many factors right your mm. your lecturers i mean i mean the faculty i mean whatever and the deadlines too are all or everything is just handed down to you but i mean the mm. peers now you are, you are you are left to your own devices it seems and you have to create like, design your whole your, your schedule you have to manage your time and yeah. it's wonderful and you have to and you have the freedom to to read whatever you want to read, mm. do whatever you want to do, in the end. and then you have to actually produce something, right? Which is, uh, which is exciting and which can be a bit challenging at the same time. But uh, yeah, all in all, I've, I think I've actually enjoyed my PhD in a way, perhaps even slightly more than my master's, right? Because yeah, in a way, yeah, because the master's was so, I mean, so intense. I mean, one year to just focus on, I mean, so much deadlines, all these deadlines imposed on you and you have to create so much really pretty very short periods of time. Yeah, yeah. Um, whatever, it just, just, it's, I mean, all great experiences anyway, I think, yeah. It's all good experience. But the, the pressure of, yes, it's all you. And in terms of the ideas that you put on the page, I don't know. I feel yeah. even in a master's, you get away with kind of, you know, well, someone said this and I kind of agree with that. But with a PhD, it's all, yeah. you know, it's all you, which, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. what are you saying? What do you have to say, you know? Right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And in terms of the books that you've read, you know, both for the degree or more recently in, you know, last sort of five years, let's say, are there any yeah, books that have stood out in that time period that you've read and that you've really chimed with or you've really enjoyed? Yes. Uh, I mean, I've read a number of books, of course. Yeah, a good number of books. Uh, one of the books I just read on my own that I don't think had any strong connection to my PhD. It's actually a memoir by Lem Sisi uh, titled My Name is Why, right? Uh, very wonderful book. I mean, it's helped me to to understand a bit more about Britishness, especially Britishness, mm. or like, I mean, this country in a way. Um, and of course, it's, uh, it's illuminated for me, um, this experience of this black man, I mean, who grew up in this very constrained times. I mean, I mean, in social care, the difficulties of social care, and uh, I mean, it struggles in the foster family, in foster care and all that. And of course, like how the host the whole institution, like the whole society is actually like just, I mean, biased and uh, I mean, dresses in his, his experience and everything. And, and of course, 
how you triumph through all these difficulties. And it's just a very wonderful, wonderful book. And I mean, a book I, uh, I just strongly recommend. And uh, yeah, and, yeah. You make a good bookseller. That's what we say on the podcast <laughs> is that we turn all of our guests into booksellers of like recommending, recommending books. Yeah. And yes, that's interesting that you say it's a good kind of way of, I don't know, kind of getting a viewpoint of, you know, what, like, what is Britain like as a, you know, as a country, yeah. which is yeah. a, as it, as it is for any country, is an incredibly tricky and complicated thing. But you felt that one yeah. kind of gave you a really good sort of grounding for that. Yeah, and especially because um, I mean I've been I've been in this country for four years and, and some and some months now, and I wanted to also get a sense of all oh, how I mean those eighties. I mean I've heard of course about how the eighties were I mean a very very difficult period for this for the country and mm. I mean economically and and and, and in many other ways. And so just to get a sense of that period and like what was that period like, I actually for like a, a young black boy. And in fact, what if a young black boy who doesn't even have his parents and who was taken by this white family and and his experience in foster care and all that kind of stuff. So it was just a very illuminating book for me and look at us straight for, for the ideas. And yeah, for, yeah, it's wonderful. Were there any others that when you came over to the UK, were there any others that you read at the time that sort of stood out to you? Or was that the one that kind of really holds a place? Yeah, I mean, one of the books again I found hugely like illuminating too I mean it's not a book but actually a great right so I'll say I mean just when I was here I, I first read Salarini's books uh, like I read Normal People mm. and a, a Conversation with Friends and I mean if I had been in Nigeria I would have read the book in a completely different way I would say I would, yeah I would have also read it as, as this book says in this country one faraway country I mean Britain right and of course I'll be uh, I mean, I'll, I'll look at it from that post-colonial lens and everything, more from that more from that point of view anyway. But when I read the book here anyway, some, a few years back, uh, it was hugely, uh, sorry, I'm going to use this word many times, but illuminating, just really illuminating for me because I had, like, in my creative writing workshop, there were many ladies in my creative writing workshop and, and I felt I didn't know what their experience growing up felt like. I didn't have any sense about their life. And I don't mean to say that, oh, that book, told me about them or gave me any, mm, any mm. huge insights towards it. Like, but at least I, I felt in a way, in a little way, like in, in some, in some in a, it gave me a sense of, okay, what did, what did my mean, what it means to be, there's a bit from, from Great Britain or from, from Ireland or something, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah, well, I've read a number of books. I mean, I can't remember, I'm just the titles now, um, but I've read a number of books, yeah, set here and there. Uh, yeah, but, but great, but I, read, I mostly read a lot of American authors, mm. a lot of American authors. I mean, American literature is this, I mean, it's so, so huge and so powerful, of course. Mm. I mean, the political power of America also bolstering it, yeah, bolstering its influence worldwide, you know, yeah. But yes, yeah, and in terms of, yeah, American literature, you know, it's a really interesting sort of uh, powerhouse and very interesting yeah. in the book world as well, because I remember yeah. uh, hearing a talk once by someone who, um, the Booker Prize, when they opened up to North American authors, was you know that was a big conversation because people yeah, were like, yeah. but they already have you know the you yeah, know this prize and this are, prize and yeah yeah and, yeah and that was just very you know a very interesting you know conversation about you know the prevalence of American literature but also you know that's British literature is also <laughs> is not lost for any power like yeah, um, you yeah. know globally but it's um yeah what, what I find hugely intriguing about American literature is how almost any book can be American in the way right if it's show some kind of strong connection, some connection, we're not so strong to America. And what is really amazing, um, how it's so amazing how American literature is so diverse and 
I mean, it has this huge range. Like, it's just, it seems to be like at the center of the world in a way. Like, if you read American novels, you can, if aliens from space, I mean, appear, appear on, on Earth and, and you want to, like, prescribe, prescribe? You want to recommend like, a good <laughs> book that, that like, gives a sense of what, like, contemporary, maybe human life might be about. Maybe, and if you must give just one, one novel. I mean, I, I mean, I'm biased towards African novels, like Things Fall Apart and all. I'm, yeah, yes, but, yeah. But, but in a way, you might just want to just give them one American novel that's just an American novel because it just seems to like, because uh, it might give you just a good picture of where, of so many things about the world and not just, yeah, not just about, like, say, about white people, about just Western ideas, but other ideas and other experiences from around the world i think yeah yeah i think that's a very good i've never had that's a i really love that way of thinking about it like if you were to give an alien a book yeah. you, you know to kind of go this will give you the first kind yeah. of idea of where we're at right now but i think that's a very good point i think an american novel because they have yes i think the the kind of diversity of voices in American literature is much wider for a host of different, you know, there's a lot of uh, things in play there to make that happen. And yeah, I love that idea. I'm going to think about that for the rest of the day now of what book would I try and recommend to an alien to say, I think this will give you the starters. Yeah. Um, Which is, which is a bit sad in a way, because it seems, oh, like we know, of course, how America diminishes the world in terms of maybe the defense spending. I mean, yeah, I know that they're, they're influenced, I know worldwide, but but again, I mean, seeing how that has ramifications, even in terms of their literature, and I mean, I mean, the big, big, big publishers are all based there, like, yeah, I mean, the biggest publishers in the world, and they had the arguably have perhaps the biggest book market in the world, anyway, and and how I don't know how perhaps America, how perhaps the country has a bit too much power in it, in a way, in that sense. In a way, I mean, it raises many questions. Anyway, let's just let us leave that. <laughs> we can, yeah. So we could be, yeah, talking yeah. about the, yeah, the, yeah, talking about that for a long time. But yes, it's a brilliant point. And I'm interested in a question we ask on the podcast: is usually a book that shaped you in some way, or that you would recommend a, as a kind of an all-time favorite book of yours? I don't actually, yeah, I don't actually have like, oh, like this book is my all-time favorite because. If that is the case, I don't think I would want to write anymore. I've got there be no point. Like, what's the point of writing, <laughs> of writing a book? And yeah, um, well, yeah, I would say uh, the Boris Karamazov, the Boris Karamazov. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's it's just this wonderful, wonderful book. I mean, I mean, the psychological insights. In fact, it's, it's on it's around that topic, uh, it's topic, which which no one could get into right now, right? <laughs> um, but but I loved how, I mean, how using a a narrative, how through a narrative of of patricide, yeah, right? How Dostoevsky managed to embed some of these big philosophical questions, for example, about ethics, about morality, the existence of God, and, and all that. And again, how the book managed to capture that era of um, of Russia. I mean, the bad period in, in, in Russian history, it's a, uh, yeah, it's easily, I mean, it's mind-boggling. And, and knowing that, oh, he wrote a book, I think within, was it one and a half years or two, two years or something, right? And yeah, yeah, and he was working on it, yeah, feverishly and all that. Yeah, that is also that is that's mind-boggling. Like, how can you write this mm. book like within this, this short period of time? Of course, I, of course, it has been like before. Then he had been, I mean, thinking about the book and yeah, but still, like, that is a huge achievement. One of the greatest books ever written. Yeah, it's something I discussed actually with the author I was talking to last week called Alice Wynn. Is yes, how do you define 
the period of writing because we were talking about these authors that you hear you know oh they wrote this book in six months or something and you think how how did you do that because yeah it's so to think that something like that could be written in such a short space of time seems um baffling yes yes it's it's incredible anyway and well i mean i think we should take away from here too is that uh it's, I mean, I mean, the creative process, of course, is something we don't know that we are still trying to figure out. So, I mean, like ChatGPT, GPT four, and all those AI systems are perhaps giving us like slightly more insights right into how these things happen and all. But still, I mean, there's still a huge way to go. And there, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Um, I mean, many many of these books, that like, for example, um, one of my favorite books to um, uh, Clockwork Orange. I think Anthony Burgess wrote it. Well, within was it like within twenty days or I can't remember exactly. Like yeah, and of course I'm sure like I mean it's not something you can that, that's repeatable anyway. Like so, it's just this burst of inspiration and this period when so many things just align together perfectly and the writer does yeah I mean makes a sacrifice or whatever and and the, and he produces wonderful pieces of of writing just within a very short period of time and it's yeah it's it's amazing yeah it's amazing. And even my novel, I, I wrote like, the very first draft after getting the, the idea one day in June 2018. Yeah, so I wrote the the first draft actually very, very quickly within mm. like two and a half weeks. Oh, wow. Um, okay, amazing. Around nearly 50,000 words. Yeah, and I wrote it on my Blackberry phone then. Yeah, yeah but I mean, that was I mean, a very rough first draft and which, mm. yeah, which, which, I mean, which went through some like huge significant changes and all. But, but still, yeah, but I can understand how it feels. Like at that period, I would just... I mean, it was like I had taken some one, some powerful drugs. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't, I hope the, the, the police are little listening to me because, yeah, I, I don't do drugs. I don't, yeah, I know. But, but it just felt there's nothing, I think there's something, not, nothing else to describe my experience, I think. Yeah, maybe just using, I mean, the spirit of taking drugs as, yeah, the only analogy here. So, I mean, it was also powerful. I was so energized, so motivated, and it was also surreal. And I just, and I wanted to do nothing else but to just write that and be with these characters travel the work with them you know and yeah and uh, i wish many readers i think that, that might be again how readers how we readers we feel towards books that we usually love we just the whole entire world disappears and only, only the book remains like in focus and uh, yeah okay so those two weeks so the idea came to you was it in a short space of time it wasn't an idea that you kind of mulled over for several months the initial idea just came in like that? Yeah, um, I mean, it's a mix of everything. And I mean, of course, the, the fuse was lit that evening, right? In June 2018, I was sitting in my living room and then this voice just comes to me and it's this voice with so much sadness, shame, guilt, and with so much power and urgency. And I, and I just had to pick up my Blackberry phone and, and, and I started writing and, and writing and writing. But I think... I mean, the gestation of the book even be, began even much earlier than that. Because like, some of the ideas I uh, utilized in the book, for example, like I mean, the idea of HSVX, the data mm. grammaton, and the, yeah, yeah, and all the cost of Africa. We like, I mean, ideas that uh, like I was working on the previous project, like on a sci-fi novel, and yeah. So, and of course, uh, many many themes of the book, I mean, the preoccupations of the book. I, I mean, things had been things that they had been in my mind in some way. Mm-hmm. There are some some things I had depressed or some things I wasn't confronting and all and and then just this project that just came gave me the huge privilege and the opportunity to examine all these things and 
to look at my my life, my community, my country, like in a different lights. And yeah, so that's powerful moments of inspiration. And, mm. yeah. and it came together because you you talked about a voice. So it came together with that idea was was Andy was this person that kind of then it never that you wrote it. I don't know third person and Andy was a character. It was always through Andy's eyes. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I mean. And and this character just came to me like it's just so powerful and they got a great motivation, should I say, or the the great sign I, I saw that oh like there's there's something here. Because before then I had been writing and writing, I would write ten pages, fifty pages, hundred, and I would stop and I would throw the idea away and, and I would start afresh again. But but this novel, I mean what a good sign for me that's the that this 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 idea might work and I could tell the story like in, in a very good way was seeing how sorry, I'm looking at the book, seeing how I mean, through Andy's voice, through his story, his life, his obsessions, his shame, his anger, his rage, his humor, and all, how I could use that to tell a story of uh, the disasters, the crisis, the pain, uh, the joys, the fun, the laughter of contemporary Nigeria, and in a way to contemporary Africa and all that, and how I could just tell, tell the story. So so it, it was just that sweet sign for me that, oh, like, this voice and this, this boy's story could quickly led itself to to all these these wonderful things and there yeah, and that was just when I just saw all that science like I was even just more motivated to follow on this story and to continue chasing him. Like throughout the process of writing the book, I was more like a secretary just listening and then just writing just listening and just and just put it down, I think. I love yeah. that analogy. I love that analogy. Yeah. That you're just transcribing this yet yeah, this character. And certainly, you know, reading it, you're aware of there's these big themes and like ideas at play. But because of the way we see it through Andy and you talk about that emotion, you know, he has many things he's dealing with. It doesn't seem packed in. The sort of pace seems very, you know, you follow Andy and these big sort of ideas of, you know, coming in. That must be quite hard to manage as a writer because, you know, you're looking at these kind of really big themes and ideas to wrestle with that must be quite difficult but you found doing it through andy you could just it it just came out or solidified yes Andy just made um i mean the whole process actually much much easier because uh otherwise um some of these elements these themes would have would have seemed to i mean would have seemed to be like digressions and all that so uh, mm. and all these themes are all part of his experience of being i mean a 15 year old boy being a nigerian boy and i mean being a young african boy too and um Especially and of being this post-colonial kind of product, in quotes, like this post-colonial product. And so there were all those different facets of his life. And the narrative just presented this, this very seamless way, I think. Because I think one of the, one of the interesting things, I think um, Samarush said about the writing process, about, I mean, that's, I mean, the writer should seek to find the most engaging, the easiest, the simplest way of telling the story, I think. So um, that's a paraphrase, whatever. But I think he said something along those lines. And so Andy's voice and and Andy's perspective provided like this this the simplest, the most engaging mm. and the seamless way, the most seamless way of delivering this narrative, yeah, to the reader. For those listening who you know they've just seen the title, they haven't had a chance to pick up the book yet. How would you pass this book over to them? How would you pass Andy over to them? What, what's the synopsis? Give us a sort of a brief introduction to Andy Africa. Okay, so in a few words, I would say, um, so the book is a common of age story set in present-day Nigeria. And it's about Andy Aziza, a smart and funny 15-year-old boy who is 
obsessed with blondes, whiteness, the West, and who his true father is. And he's also um, ashamed of his uneducated mother, who is a, a photographer. And these feelings of shame and obsession, I mean, become intensified when his life is suddenly uh, destabilized by communal violence. His story can be, can be seen as a narrative, like in three ways, right? Uh, a narrative about uh, the complicated relationship between a mother and a son, between like two young people of different skin colors and classes. That is Andy and Eileen, the, the white blonde that he falls in love with. And, uh, and of course, also a relationship about the complicated um, dynamics between Africa and the, and the West. Uh, for me, what, what I really love about the book anyway, personally, what I love about the book is like an amalgam of things you, know, you wouldn't usually find together in the same book. Like on the one hand, it's playful as well as funny and and it's, I think it's also intelligent as well as also devastating. Like so many devastating things also happen in the book. And uh, I think, um, yeah, and, and this is all delivered through this this very funny, playful voice of Andy, mm. which which, I, which I, I found very, very engaging and uh, which readers hopefully also find engaging and intriguing. The humour does, you know, stand out wonderfully because with the themes, you know, it'd be very easy to go, this is going to be a very serious, you know, uh, yeah, book yeah. because you're dealing with these kind of huge, you know, these huge things. And, yeah. you know, it really ties in with that Rushdie quote you gave. Of, it creates that sense of, you know, finding the kind of the best way to tell this story. If you're okay, we'd like to end with a with a reading from the book. If you have a segment okay. you would like to read, then that would that would be fantastic. Okay, brilliant. So um, I'm going to read from uh, the first chapter of my novel, The Five Sorrowful Mysteries of Anti Africa. So this is just the opening of, of the book. So, dear white people, I love white girls, especially blondes. Blondes who wear their hair in ponytails and once a week in pigtails. Is this a fetish? I don't know. I'm just pretty sure. I'll marry a white girl, a blonde. Do I think black girls are ugly? Of course not. That would mean mama is ugly. And I'm not going to take that shit from anybody. In fact, I haven't seen a blonde before because this is Africa and there are minus 0.001 blondes here. Still, I love blondes. A strand of hair like a long, sweet sun. Hair like ripples of water chasing each other. I swear I can see my face reflected clearly on each strand. I go to bed hungry most nights. I sleep on my dead mats in our dead living room with dead electricity. And with my last energies, I reach into my shorts and think about blondes. And peace flows down my heart to my stomach and down to my feet. And I'm filled. And I sleep satisfied, like a boy who is eating a dozen cheeseburgers, though I don't know the taste of that shit. And I sleep knowing the future is mine. A 15-year-old African Genius poet altar boy who lost blondes is not a criminal, not a racist, not a sellout, but a sweet, cool, pitiful African boy. 
Stephen, thank you so much for that wonderful reading. The Five Sorrowful Mysteries of Andy Africa. The book is out there. It is available from mostly books in store and on our website or from wherever you decide to get your books from. Uh, Stephen, thank you so much for joining us on Mostly Books Meets. Yeah, thank you so much for having me and thank you for such a wonderful conversation. My absolute pleasure. Thank you. Mostly Books Meets is presented and produced by the bookselling team at Mostly Books, an award-winning bookshop located in Abingdon, Oxfordshire. All of the titles mentioned in this episode are available through our shop or your preferred local independent. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out our previous guests, which include some of the most exciting voices in the world of books. Thanks for listening and happy reading. Thank you.